0: This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Great West LIFE Co. Fourth Quarter 2020 results conference call. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Paul Mann, President and CEO of Great West LIFE Co. Please go ahead.
1: Thanks very much, Ariel. Good afternoon and welcome to Great West LIFE Co.'s Fourth Quarter 2020 conference call. I hope you and your families are safe and healthy. Before we move on to management's formal comments on the quarter and the full year, I want to take a few moments to reflect on the significant change and challenge our world has faced in 2020 and how our companies are responding. Firstly, the impacts of the COVID pandemic have had a profoundly negative effect on the health and financial well-being of so many, particularly the vulnerable. Our companies have responded to ensure we can operate with customer, advisor and staff, health and safety as a number one priority. Beyond this, we work to help our customers and communities manage through the financial impacts of the crisis, through accommodations and financial support. We recognize there are continuing challenges ahead as we face second waves and lockdowns and remain committed to the needs of all of our stakeholders. 2020 also highlighted the challenges we face as communities, countries, and across the world with respect to diversity, inclusiveness, and social justice. Black Lives Matter and and Indigenous Truth and Reconciliation are just two important examples of a societal response to these challenges. As a company, we recognize that we must be active supporters and participants in Change for a Better World. Climate change is also front and center as a challenge that we collectively face and must collectively address. The steps we have taken to date were reflected in the A rating Great West Life Co. received in the 2020 CDP rankings, putting us among the top five insurance uh, companies globally. We remain committed to playing our part in responding to the challenges that climate climate change presents today and for future generations as well. I'll now turn to our formal remarks. Joining me on today's call is Gary McNicholas, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Gary and I will deliver today's formal presentation. Also joining us on the call and available to answer qu- your questions are David Harney, President and Chief Operating Officer, Europe, Arshil Jamal, President and Group Head Strategy, Investments, and Reinsurance, Jeff McCown, President and Chief Operating Officer, Canada, Ed Murphy, President and Chief Executive Officer of Empower Retirement, and Bob Reynolds, President and Chief Executive Officer, Putnam Investments. Before we start, I'll draw your attention to our cautionary notes regarding forward-looking information and non-IFRS financial measures on slide two. These cautionary notes apply to today's discussion and presentation materials. Moving to slide four, you'll see a high-level summary of the key themes we'll cover today. We reported a very strong fourth quarter to close out the year, driven by solid underlying performance across businesses. Base earnings in the quarter were $741 million, and net earnings were $912 million. On a full-year basis, LifeCo delivered base earnings of $2.7 billion in line with the prior year, while net earnings increased 25% to $2.9 billion. These are outstanding results given the extraordinary health and economic crisis since early 2020. I couldn't be more proud of my 24,000 LifeCo colleagues whose hard work and creativity enabled these results. We'll get into the details of the fourth quarter shortly, but to summarize, we've experienced modest business and financial impacts related to COVID-19 to date. While we're optimistic about improving trends as vaccines roll out, we are maintaining our heightened vigilance given uncertainty around the recent wave of the virus. We are, however, confident in the resiliency of our business and our ability to manage any future COVID challenges. As you know, 2020 saw us advance several strategic initiatives, particularly in the U.S. where we acquired personal capital and the retirement services business of MassMutual. We're focused on integrating these businesses and realizing the synergy and accretion targets we've set. We're also focused on leveraging our digital investments to build out strategies to provide additional advice and services to group plan participants. We have over 20 million plan participants across our group businesses globally. We're focused on extending our direct relationships with these customers at Empower and Canadian Group Customer and at Irish Life using innovative digital platforms we've either built or acquired in recent years. We will capitalize on these and other strategic initiatives to drive further value creation in the year ahead. We'll now turn to slide five for an overview of the fourth quarter results. Base EPS of $0.80 was down 11% year-over-year from an elevated Q4 2019. This year-over-year change reflects a $122 million European tax settlement included in Q4 2019 that did not repeat, and that equated to about $0.13 a share. Excluding that, results were relatively unchanged year-over-year. Net earnings of $0.98 per share were up 78% year-over-year. The 43 cent swing was due in a large part to the positive impact of the re evaluation of a U.S. deferred tax asset compared to the negative impact when this portion of the deferred tax a- asset was derecognized in Q4 2019. Gary will provide details later in the presentation regarding this matter. Net earnings this quarter also included a net gain on the sale of GLC in Canada as well as some offsets, including restructuring and acquisition-related transaction costs. Turning to slide 6, I'll provide an update on our invested assets portfolio. While performance continues to be strong, COVID-related pressures still exist, and we continue to closely monitor the portfolio. First, we'll look at the bond portfolio. At $153 billion, it represents 71% of our total invested assets. It's diversified and high quality, with 99% rated investment grade and 75% rated A or higher. You will note our triple B holdings of 37.5 billion are up from last quarter. The increase was primarily due to assets we acquired through the MassMutual transaction. While MassMutual has a very good investment portfolio, it was a little less conservative than LifeCo's, with a higher skew to triple B and below investment grade. This is very much in line with our competitors in the U.S. insurance industry. The portfolio we acquired was a carve-out from the company's larger portfolio. We worked through a rigorous asset selection process with MassMutual and are very comfortable with the acquired assets. We've added additional disclosure in the appendix to give you a clear picture of our bond portfolio by rating post the MassMutual transaction. Turning to the in-quarter experience, the impact of credit was negligible across both bonds and mortgages. We received a modest number of requests for mortgage and rent payment deferrals. Cum- cumulative commercial mortgage loan deferrals were $3 million at the end of Q4, and we've approved $5 million in rent payment deferrals year-to-date. Our UK property- property-related portfolio also saw limited in-quarter impacts. While valuation certainty is returning to some sectors of the real estate market, we're maintaining a cautious outlook for segments of the office and retail subsectors. We continue to monitor closely and believe the high quality, diversified nature of our portfolio will help mitigate potential future pressures. Please turn to slide seven for an overview of in-quarter COVID-19 business impacts. As you know, we've included this slide since the pandemic began in Q1 last year. Since then, the impacts and the outlook have largely been stable to improving, and it is no different this quarter. While sales and quote activity in certain businesses continue to be muted by lockdowns, the impacts remain consistent with a slight improving trend. Despite continuing pandemic impacts in Q4, our businesses have performed well, highlighting the resiliency of LifeCo and the benefits of our disciplined and diversified business model. Looking ahead, we are optimistic regarding our sales pipeline and the momentum we saw in the fourth quarter performance, which I'll speak to on the next slide. Turning to slide 8, in Canada, individual insurance and individual wealth sales were strong with increased momentum through digital channels. Although Canadian group sales were lower year-over-year due to reduced quotation activity, we led the market in group life and health sales in the quarter. In the US, sales were down 14%, primarily due to lower large plan sales at Empower for the quarter, but with a strong pipeline of quotation activity going into 2021. US results also included a full quarter of personal capital and institutional sales, which were higher at Putnam. In Europe, sales were flat to last year in constant currency. While wall sales continued at a slower pace in the current environment, we benefited from the reopening of the bulk market and completed two large deals in quarter. While not captured by traditional sales metrics on the slide, capital and risk solutions completed a three billion pound longevity transaction in the UK. We continue to see strong demand for European longevity and life capital solutions in the US and Europe. Please turn to slide nine for fee and other income. Overall, LifeCo fees were up 4% year over year. Excluding those related to personal capital, fees were up 1%. In Canada, fees were largely consistent with Q4 2019, in line with markets. Turning to the U.S., fees were up 11%, primarily due to improved performance fees at Putnam, along with higher equity markets and the inclusion of personal capital. If if we exclude personal capital, U.S. fees were up 6% year-over-year. And in Europe, fees were lowered due to legacy block sales in the UK and the Ipsy sale in Ireland, partially offset by higher management fees in Germany. Next on slide 10, we'll look at expenses. Life cooperating expenses, excluding personal capital and the one-time U.S. pension credit last year, were up 4% year-over-year. This is in line with our expectation of overall expense growth and reflects good discipline across regions. In Canada, expenses were up 4%, reflecting investments in digital and an increased focus on building the Canada Life brand. Looking to the US and removing transaction costs, expenses grew 20%. <laughs> However, excluding personal capital, the one-time and the one-time pension buyout credit last year, growth was a more modest 4%. European expenses were slightly lower year-over-year in constant currency. And Capital and Risk Solutions which has a smaller expense base, saw increases reflecting strong new business growth. I'll now turn the call over to Gary to review financial highlights. Gary? Thank you, Paul.
2: Please turn to slide 12. Base earnings per share of 80 cents was down 11% compared to the prior year. And as noted earlier, Q4 2019 included a 13 cents per share positive impact from a tax settlement in Europe. This quarter, we've had strong base earnings, pretty results pretty much across the segments and I'll touch on highlights momentarily. Net EPS of 98 cents was up 78% year over year. While there were a number of items related to closing on recent strategic initiatives, a large part of the swing year over year comes from deferred tax asset movements. The revaluation this year, given the expected growth in taxable income from our recent acquisitions, had a positive 21 cents per share impact compared to a negative $0.22 cents when this portion of the DTA was de-recognized in Q4 2019. On a segment basis, starting with Canada, base earnings were $348 million, up 27% from last year. Lower health and LTD claims and solid yield enhancement contributed to strong experience gains this quarter. New business also contributed positively as a result of repricing actions earlier in the year and higher sales volumes. In the U.S., base earnings overall were unchanged year over year, although there were a number of moving parts. One of these was an unusual 9 million gain on an asset prepayment at Empower last year. Taking that into account, Empower's base earnings continued their strong trajectory with higher fees from growth and equity markets, partly offset by a catch up in technology investments. Personal capital recorded a base loss of 7 million, in line with our expectations, as personal capital continues to invest in new customer acquisition to fuel growth and future profitability. Putnam's results were nearly double the prior year due to a strong turnaround in performance fees and seed capital investment gains. In Europe, base earnings were down 38% year-over-year, mainly due to the positive impact of that 122 million tax settlement in last year's results. Excluding that, base earnings were comparable to last year with favorable longevity and morbidity experience, offsetting higher life claims. Capital and risk solutions saw another solid quarter of base earnings, a low down from a record quarter last year. The decline was primarily due to upfront strain on a large longevity swap transaction in the quarter, compared to new business gains on a similar type of transaction in the fourth quarter last year. While both of these deals meet or exceed our pricing hurdles, and contribute nicely to future expected profit, the specifics of a given transaction can lead to either strain or gain at the outset. And lastly, in uh, in reinsurance, uh, reflecting on continued COVID impacts on mortality rates, higher claims in the life reinsurance business were partly offset by favorable longevity claims experience. Turning to slide 13, this table is a new disclosure we've added this quarter. It shows the segment and total LIFECO source of earnings from a base earnings perspective. You'll note the management actions and changes assumption line, as well as the other line, are excluded. We thought it would be helpful to present a base SOE given the number of adjustments to get from net to base earnings this quarter, and also the impact those items had on the tax line. We have also added historic eight-quarter SOE displays by segment in the supplemental information package to better highlight trends, particularly with the introduction of the capital and risk solutions segment earlier this year. Turning to the source of earnings table, expected profit was up 10% year over year with strong business growth in capital and risk solutions, growth at Empower, higher performance fees at Putnam, improved profitability at Irish Life Health, and an appreciation in European currencies all contributing. Regarding new business impacts, Due largely to the longevity reinsurance transactions, which I noted earlier is driving expected profit growth, capital and risk solutions went from upfront gains of $53 million in 2019 to a strain of $40 million this year, a swing of $93 million pre-tax. Other notable changes included the improvement in Canada due to repricing and sales volumes, as well as increased new business strain in the U.S. as a result of personal capital customer acquisition costs. Experience gains contributed positively in the quarter, and I'll cover these on a later slide. Earnings on surplus of 6 million was in line with the prior quarter but down from the prior year. This is partly due to lower prevailing interest rates, and also 2019 included one time gains in Europe of about 28 million. The effective tax rate on base shareholder earnings was 13%, and it is not unusual to see our more normalized, if I could call it that, tax rate. Uh, In that low to mid double digit range. Turning to slide 14, the table on this slide is a reconciliation of base to net earnings, highlighting the key items that are not included in base earnings. As noted, net earnings in the fourth quarter included several adjustments, the largest of which was the 196 million positive impact of the revaluation of the U.S. deferred tax asset. Net earnings also included a net gain on the sale of um, GLC of $143 million. other restructuring integration costs in Canada and the U.S., totaling $67 million. and then transaction costs with personal capital mass mutual of $47 million. Assumption changes in the period netted to a negative, which I'll come back to, and the market-related impacts included some unfavorable changes in certain UK and Irish tax estimates as a result of market increases And the negative impact of lower interest rates and lower property values on or lower growth in property values on insurance liabilities turn uh, please turn to slide 15. this table shows segment and total life co net earnings results from a source of earnings perspective and it essentially combines the information from the base earnings soe with the adjustments for excluded items on the prior slide the management actions and changes assumptions line includes integration costs and transaction costs associated with our U.S. acquisitions and the gain on sale of GLC, plus of course the actuarial basis changes. The other line is where we record restructuring costs, which you can see the totals for the Canadian and U.S. strategic initiatives noted earlier. Recall these are all pre-tax numbers. And then lastly, the tax line, this reflects the tax impacts of the above, most notably the revaluation of the deferred tax asset. Please turn to slide 16. These tables expand on the experience results as well as management actions and changes in assumptions to highlight various items in the quarter, most of which we have touched on earlier. Starting on the left, yield enhancement continued to contribute positively, particularly in Canada. And I'd also like to call out there was a positive combined impact of mortality, longevity, and morbidity In many cases, it is difficult to determine exactly what is COVID related versus other factors. But again, we benefit from a diversified book of business. Expense variances reflect strategic project spend, as well as higher technology and other expenses. This reflects a ramp up of activity in the fourth quarter, a bit of catching up from earlier in the year when certain projects had slowed. As Paul noted earlier, credit related impacts were negligible this quarter, which is a good outcome reflecting the quality of the portfolio, and we will continue to watch that closely. Looking at the right-hand side, you'll see the gain on sale of GLC, shown gross of restructuring charges, and the US acquisition-related transaction costs. Assumption changes in the period netted to a negative, primarily due to updates to policyholder behavior assumptions in Canada. This quarter, we reviewed assumptions for our universal life and term life business based on recent experience. Policyholder behavior updates were partly offset by longevity assumption reviews, which primarily affects the UK and reinsurance business units, life mortality reviews and other updates which were generally positive. Please turn to slide 17. The Q4 book value per share of $22.97 was up 7% year over year and up 2% sequentially, driven largely by the increased retained earnings. The LICAT ratio at CAD life remained strong. low down two points from Q3. Continued phase in of the new most adverse LICAT scenario impacted the ratio by one point. Assuming we stay in this LICAT interest scenario, the full impact will continue to be smoothed in over the next four quarters at just under one point per quarter. We've also seen growth in asset-related capital requirements from both asset mix and market appreciation. And this largely offsets the normal growth levels that have typically uh, been about 1% per quarter. LifeCo cash of 0.9 billion is not included in the LICAT ratio. And that concludes my formal remarks. Paul, back to you.
1: Thanks, Gary. Uh, We'll wrap up our formal comments on slide 18. So in summary, I believe Q4 was a great end to an unusual and a remarkable year. And I have to say I'm so proud of the company's performance. Looking ahead, we'll continue to capitalize on the strategic investments and initiatives undertaken in 2020, all of which have set us up for exceptionally well in the future. In the U.S., we're focused on building out our retail wealth strategy as we integrate personal capital with Empower and expand our offering to our 12 million plan participants. We're also driven to realize the synergies and accretion targets we set out when we announced the mass mutual transaction. In Canada, our focus remains on elevating our wealth management strategies through the combination of GLC asset management with McKinsey, and we will continue to capitalize on digital capabilities to drive further revenue growth. In Europe, our focus remains on unlocking value from the investments we've made in our wealth and retirement platforms, including Wealth WealthTuckins in Ireland and our extension into the Group uh, corporate pension space in Germany. And finally, in capital and risk solutions, we will continue to leverage our expertise and experience in longevity and life capital solutions to grow this business within our risk appetite. I'll close my formal comments with a few important thank yous. As the COVID-19 vaccination programs roll out around the world, we would like to thank the scientists and healthcare workers who have worked tirelessly to advance vaccine research, deliver immunizations, and care for COVID patients. We also share our continued thanks with essential workers whose selfless dedication has ensured the smooth functioning of our communities since the start of the pandemic. And to advisors and employees, thank you for your ongoing efforts to serve our clients and deliver on our commitments while balancing family and other responsibilities as you continue to work from home. With that, Ariel, please open the line for questions.
0: Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then 2. To join the question queue, please press star then 1 now. Our first question comes from Menning Grauman of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
2: Hi, good afternoon. First question is on yield enhancement. Uh, it was a, a nice benefit uh, this past quarter. I'm just wondering if you could give us
3: a little bit more detail in terms of what drove that, and I think most importantly, the sustainability of, of that going forward.
1: Uh, thanks, Manny. I'll start out by just saying that you know one of the things that we've really advanced over the last number of years is starting to look at... Um, Opportunities for invested assets backing li- liabilities on a more global basis. So we're not constraining ourselves to available assets in the Canadian market. We're really looking for opportunities. For example, you know we look to equity release mortgages to back, for instance, our Canadian liabilities. So backing, you know, our yield enhancement is really starting to leverage some of those. Um, you might almost call it sort of alternative asset um, assets that allow us to yield enhance. But with that, I will turn it to Gary to add a little bit more color.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, actually, Paul, you've uh, you've hit it on the head. Uh, certainly, uh, Canada benefited from the uh, uh, accessing the equity release mortgages originated in the UK, and uh, that uh, added to uh, a good bit to the yield enhancement there. And then in the UK uh, itself, uh, we had uh, uh, property lease extensions that also contributed to our yield enhancement because those flow into our our cash flows. Uh, um, so we had it both on the uh, lease extension side uh, gains. And uh, and on those uh, equity, those would be the largest ones. And there's just other uh, other trading. I don't know if uh, Raman wants to give any more color, but I think those would be the two I'd call out.
4: Yeah, it's Roman here. I, I I think I agree with that the only color I would add is it was you know diversified across a number of different sources, and then you know it was in the context of tightening public market spreads, but there were a number of opportunities in the private markets, which really helped. So um, that's the only thing I would add. But you covered it well.
1: Yeah. So, how sustainable? Go ahead. So, oh, Manny, I was going to kind of try and wrap it up and say, from from you know, so as we think about that, we continue to be very active in the equity release market. Uh, market, so we will continue to be sourcing that as a as a source of assets backing liabilities. Um, we, I would say, have strengthened our capabilities in private markets, and um, we're looking to both private markets and partnerships. So, you know obviously there, there there'll there be volatility from quarter to quarter in terms of opportunity, but we do view these as, as relatively sustainable ways for us to continue to strengthen the portfolio. Uh, anything else you'd add to that Roman? No, I agree with that.
3: Do you sort of have targets in terms of you're talking about sort of a
5: shift more to alternatives. Is, is there a big opportunity there in terms of what percentage of the, of the portfolio you'd like to see in, in those kinds of assets?
1: Uh, I'll I'll let, you know, I'll start out by saying um, we continue to be very disciplined in terms of diversification and making sure that, um, you know, we have a high-quality diversified book, but we also look for, you know, yield opportunities to both support pricing and to support, you know, earnings growth. Um, I would say that, you know, we're very balanced. Uh, You know, Ramana, is there anything else you'd add to that?
4: Yeah, I guess maybe just to give you a bit more color, if you think about 2020, not just the quarter but the year um, and the yield enhancement, some of it came back in the spring when there was a lot of opportunities in the public markets and we were able to, you know, um, engage in a lot of trading and, and really benefit from wider spreads there. You know, ERMs has been a consistent source for us. I think you know other parts of the private markets, whether it be in the mortgage side or or corporate bond markets, have been a good source of, of gains for us. You know, as we increase our exposure. Via partners, as Paul mentioned, I think that will continue to provide some tailwinds for us to access some of these opportunities. So it's hard to pinpoint and give budgets exactly, but uh, I think there's you know a number of different ways we've been able to access yield enhancement.
3: Thanks for that.
4: Thanks, Manny.
0: Our next question comes from Gabrielle Deschain of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
6: Uh, good afternoon uh first on the canadian group business you had some positive uh, uh morbidity experience in ltd uh but in your you know your outlook commentary in the slides you talk about uh you know mental health as still a uh i guess a risk factor which i i i can I understand um can you kind of expand on on what you're seeing your 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 book of business what kind of trends are evolving and and you know how you're positioning yourself from the Queens management or a pricing standpoint uh, there um,
1: uh, th- thanks gabriel I'll, I'll actually defer i'll, I'll defer that one uh, over to jeff McCowan, and then perhaps gary might add a little bit of color after that uh jeff thank
5: you paul uh and gabriel thanks uh thanks for that question um perhaps a <clears throat> couple comments i would make um, you know, we've always been um, very diligent uh, on our LTD block, uh, as you know, uh, uh, it is renewed generally the most of the block on a, on a yearly basis. Um, so we, uh, uh, we, we're, we're quite aggressive in making sure that we take care of that on an annual basis. You are, you are correct, uh, we have seen lower incidents, and uh, we've seen this now for a couple of quarters in a row, and terminations um, um, are in line with the incidents, so you know, we've seen good experience on that. From a mental health perspective, we continue to monitor that and manage that very closely. We haven't seen anything at this point that that concerns us, but obviously we continue to monitor it very closely. And and, uh, our outlook is that we'll watch things from a COVID perspective. It's interesting that uh, in times like this, we do see people uh, uh, making sure they're hanging on to their jobs, if I can call it that, and we have seen a decrease on short-term disability at this point. Gary, did you want to add anything to that?
2: I think I'd just uh, comment, uh, Jeff, a little bit, uh, I hate to go into the detail, but a little bit on the source of earnings geography, just uh, some of that caution you'd expressed, where uh, I think it's a very thoughtful approach we take, um, does, uh, and we did uh, lower our expected profit outlook in this area, but we've, we haven't seen that come through and we've had very positive experience. So, obviously we're managing the book for the total outcome, uh, both the expected and the experience. Uh, so we may have been a little cautious on the expected, uh, it, you know, this quarter in particular.
6: And so uh, I think that's contributed okay. to the of geography. Gotcha. Uh, then uh, moving on to Empower, I guess, um, I mean, the sales in the U.S. down 12%. I'm um, just looking at the slide deck. U.S. sales, that includes personal and Putnam as well. But sales down. Um, and then the strain in the U.S. is up a fair bit the, the, despite the, uh, the the drop in sales. And, I, I, you know, I mean, you've expanded the scale of Empower quite a bit. So I'm just wondering why some of those uh, arrows are moving in opposite directions than what I would expect to see. Uh,
1: so uh, I'll start out with that. Um, you know, sales is something that you, that occurs when you book the sale. And then, obviously, uh, as we're bringing the customers on, that can take, especially when you're looking at large large plans, um, the incidence of the cost you're, you're taking in terms of acquiring the customer uh, can occur over a, a period of a number of quarters, uh, especially with when you're looking at the mega cases. So I think sales and strain are always not going to line up you know in the same moment. Um, maybe I'll let Gary speak to the strain a little bit and then he can refer it on to Ed to provide you with a little context on uh, you know sales. But the reality is it was more or less the absence of any very large sales, but as I said, Um, we we like the look of our pipeline going into uh, 2021. Uh, So we've seen this type of um, volatility. It can be quite lumpy. uh, But, you know, Empower's uh, empowers value proposition is such that we really do like the the pipeline we have in terms of quotation activity. But, Gary, do you want to speak to the strain, and then Ed can talk to sales?
2: Yeah, sir. Uh, Just quickly on the strain. I mean, really, the the movement year-over-year in the U.S., um, I think the movement year-over-year was $14 And of that, 17 million movement is personal capital. Just the uh, and we do outline the uh, the Canadian uh, 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 pre-tax, and remember these are all pre-tax. It's the uh, customer acquisition cost, of personal capital.
6: So right, okay.
2: Absent personal capital, it drops a bit, which I think what you were thinking.
6: All right, perfect. Thanks. And then my, uh, last quick one, Putnam. I mean, that's not a massive number, but uh, performance fee, 30-some odd million bucks. Uh, normally, it's. No single digits, uh, was there anything noteworthy there?
1: Uh, Gary, why don't you start up? maybe Bob? You know, Gary, you can just provide a little bit of context for sort of timing, and then uh, Bob, I mean, I think it, behind that, Gabrielle, is strong performance. We've had yeah. a really strong year, uh, but Gary can speak to the timing issue, and then I, I, I think it's good Good if Bob can share some insights into performance.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's worth it. The one thing on timing is that uh, it's, the institutional uh, performance fees, a lot of those are in Q4, so there is uh, there is more in Q4 than you would see earlier in the year, and then uh, the other thing I'd note is that over the past few years we did have a, you may have, we had a bit of a drag on performance fees from completely different mandates that were slowly running off, and these were, uh, you know, we just had to had to have the runoff of those. There were three-year uh, averages that were just running off. So what? Um, I think what you're, you're seeing now is the, the strong performance is really uh, shining through. So maybe Bob, would add a little more color on the performance.
7: Thank you. Um, just to add to that, uh, obviously it is strong performance that drives that fee, but w- w- what we see are performance fees, in the mutual fund uh, part of the business, the, the institutional, and we have seen growth, significant growth in hedge fund business. And all three of those contributed to the uh, performance fee number and, um, you know, we're off to a great start this year. So we're very encouraged by that.
4: Thank you. Welcome.
0: Our next question comes from Paul Holden of CIBC. Please go ahead.
4: Thank you. Good afternoon. I want to go back to the uh, questioning on uh, on Power. It seemed like... You came into 2020 with a lot of positive momentum in that business with all the investments and integrations you had done and then growth kind of slowed in 2020 so what I'm trying to figure out is to what extent is that simply related to a slowdown in the economy and um, particularly I guess with respect to um, employment and with job growth starting to pick up in the US like is that is that something that should be a nice tailwind for Empower? Is that material? Um,
1: uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, you know, first off, you know, in, in the context of growth, um, to your point, I think COVID has had an impact on things like quotation activity, uh, especially when you're looking at group businesses. But as I said before, we're seeing you know our pipelines improve really across um, most of our group businesses, including Empower. So there's no doubt there's sort of a there was a bit of a COVID slowdown, uh, but I think to a large extent that's starting to get behind us. But I'll, I'll let Ed provide a bit of context as to how that played out through through
7: uh, 2020. Ed. Sure. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I, I would say with regard to the book of business, um, typically you would see companies hiring during the course of the year and enrolling new participants. So if you look at our base of business, uh, because of the economy, we did not see a lot of growth within the existing base of of customers in terms of participant growth. Um, But uh, as Paul referenced, um, and and I think Gary might have mentioned this too, I mean, there's some lumpiness to the sales, particularly in the upper end of uh, of our business. And uh, we certainly have seen that. <clears throat> we only had one significant large market sale in the fourth quarter. That being said, if you look at, if you look at January and where we're uh, positioned in 2021, we, we have commitments now that exceed all of our sales in 2020. So I think really good growth. Uh, we did see some lag in terms of, of activity as, as companies focused more inwardly in their own situations, but now the RFP activity has picked up dramatically. And our pipeline, frankly, is at the highest it's ever been in the history of the company. So I'm I'm pretty optimistic about uh, 2021.
4: And then, so you've commented on on the pipeline now a couple of times. Wondering if you can give us some kind of sense on closing rates, or at least from the perspective, you don't want to give us a closing rate, at least from the perspective of have closing rates for Putna or, sorry, for Empower improved over time with the new technology and scale that you've built in that business?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, Paul, we're certainly – we don't want to get into providing the specifics on, um, you know, the, the the actual size of the pipeline and closing rates. But for sure, I think I can provide some context around, you know, our – how technology has, has, I think it impacts two things. I think number one, when you become significantly differentiated, um, advisors can almost can't afford to not have you on um, on the docket when they're doing an RFP. And then the question is, do you have a better value proposition? So Ed, maybe you can provide a bit of context around that.
7: Yeah, I think there's a lot of dynamics. Uh, obviously the value proposition and, and the breadth of one's capabilities is important. Um, you know, we're, we're a significant scale player in the market, so we bring some cost advantages and pricing advantages to the market. And uh, you know, historically, if you look at our growth as measured by net participant growth, we typically have been growing at a, at a multiple of market, and we expect that to continue. Um, well, the other factor that's playing out in the market is consolidation, and and it's you know, a disproportionate amount of the new business and the flows are essentially going to the top players in the market and so we expect that trend trend to continue and, and see further consolidation, and we think Empower is well-positioned to benefit from that.
4: Okay, great, all that color is helpful. One uh, one last one from me, and this is on the uh, the CRS business. With the uh, great growth there, spent a little bit more time looking at <clears throat> um, some of the, uh, I guess, the non-earnings uh, numbers like premium growth, Um, asset growth, liability growth, and it's hard for me to correlate the type of base earnings growth you've seen in that business relative to some of those other metrics I I just mentioned. So just wondering if you can help us understand how we should be looking at the primary underlying drivers of that base earnings growth and if there's anything we can track in your sub pack to uh, to help us with that.
1: Uh, thanks, Paul. I'm going to
4: turn that
8: one to to Arshall to provide a bit of color. Arshall? Okay. Thank you, Paul. Um, so, I, I, I really, you know, describe the business that we have within our reinsurance uh, operating unit as, you know, focusing on four or five product lines. Um, so, we have sort of our core U.S. traditional and our property catastrophe uh, businesses that have been long standing parts of the businesses, and they are relatively low growth. It's really been the financial solutions businesses, both in the U.S. and various European markets. And then over the last couple of years, really the longevity transactions um, that have been driving the 22% growth in expected profit over the last 12 months. Um, So those are the areas. Um, We've added in the stats supplement a little bit more detail on the expected profit. And we will think about how best to communicate some of those forward-looking metrics um, or whatever, but it's very difficult to put sort of a longevity swap um, that is to offsetting long-term cash flows um, through a p and get something that, you know, is, is uh, comparable to something like a traditional payout annuity or a U.S. Uh, traditional life reinsurance. So we, we struggle with that ourselves, um, but, you know, the areas that we're seeing very, very strong growth is on the longevity side, particularly in Europe and in the life solutions business, both in Europe and in, and in the U.S. And, and those are the, the fastest-growing parts of the reinsurance business, but we're committed to continuing both in the life traditional business in the U.S. and the p- property catastrophe, but that will be at a slightly slower growth rate.
1: Yeah, Arshal, I might add that you know our continuing commitment to U.S. trad life and, and the property uh uh, catastrophe is, is the fact that when you think about this business, it, it's nicely diversified across a range of different risks, and it actually diversifies well with the broader LifeCo portfolio. And beyond that, it actually provides us with expertise as we face off against different other businesses and think about, you know, trying to either leverage internal reinsurance or leverage expertise. So. Um, It's a book, and as Arshul said, the the growth has been more in the financial solutions than longevity. And uh, it's transaction by transaction, so it's hard to, you know, kind of put a sales forecast, but, you know, we we tend to think about it more in the context of an overall risk appetite in terms of, you know, how much do we want. Um, So we'll think about, you know, whether there's a a better way to guide on that. Okay, that would be great. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Paul.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star then one. Our next question comes from Tom McKinnon of BMO Capital. Please go ahead.
3: Yeah, thanks very much. Good afternoon. Um, question on Empower, and then a question about uh, um, uh, experience gains um, in the supplement. The Empower, if I look at the Empower um, revenue, it is uh, um, it's the lowest it's been in. T- fourth quarter was the lowest we've seen in terms of empire revenue for all of 2020, even if we flip them into U.S. dollars. Um, I'm wondering why is that the case? Why, why wouldn't uh, the revenue be the highest in the fourth quarter as a result of the equity markets being so resilient? So, uh, um, And then I have a couple of follow-ups. Thanks.
1: Okay. Um, I will let uh, Gary start off on revenue. And Gary, you might want to uh, turn that one, that one back to Ed.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, and the revenue, when uh, when you're looking in the, um, in the supplemental pack, uh, Tom, and I think we've talked about this before, the revenue that's shown there is what the insurance revenue. So this is the on-balance sheet or the general account option at Empower. Um, so and that's that risk-based premiums line or, or revenue premiums I think you were, you were looking at there. Um, or total net premiums line, I think that, uh, it's also referred to as, I think those are the ones you're looking at. Uh, so I'm looking at
3: total, what, total income. So it includes fee income, investment income, and uh, total net premiums.
2: Yeah, your your net investment income is, of course, going to have a, a lot of movement in around uh, fair value, so you always have to be a little uh, cautious there. It's really the um, – and the fees, I think, have been um, been very steady uh, increasing, as you'd expect. Um, and then the, the premiums there are the general account premiums. And so what we saw, and particularly saw it in uh, – in Q1 and Q3, you see a real jump up in money going into the general account as a bit of a, a safe, uh, safer haven is what that was considered. And then you see it, uh, that's what's causing the ebb and flow this year. And you'll see those numbers are up quite a bit from uh, from what they would have been in 2019. So that's that's really the dynamic there is mean, money going into the general account. And then uh, overall, obviously, uh, the money going into Empower is uh, seg fund deposits, mutual fund deposits, and, and so on. And why were, uh, the
3: net, why were the net earnings on that um, exhibit for Empower in U.S. dollars $30 million below what they were in the third quarter?
7: Yeah, the third
2: quarter, um, we would have called this, had a, uh, at a fairly large, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was a fairly large basis change in the third quarter. You remember, this is just the full net earnings, right? And there was a, a basis change of Empower, uh, again, to do with that general account. And I, I think it was uh quite size, I just don't have the number right in front of me from Q three. But that's what that, that's what the jump up is. I think it was
7: twenty three yeah. million. Yeah,
3: that's a and and L on base for Empower would actually certainly help if that's the metric to use rather than the reported. Um and if I if I go into a follow up here, it has to do with oh, oh John, uh, the source of
2: earnings might help you there. By the way, just uh, that we did uh, have a source of earnings now for the U.S. and, and we've got Putnam so you yeah can get back. I mean, here. it's
3: got it's got runoff, individual insurance. It's got Putnam. It's uh, yeah. It's so anyways, Okay. Um, yeah. We can
2: we can help with Empower on that. Good good idea. Yeah. I,
3: I mean, I, I don't look at Empower as being a source of earnings type business. I, I look at it as being you know a P and L type business. So, uh, it, nonetheless, uh, if I, if I move into um, experience gains and losses. Uh there's an item called expenses and fees. Now, I assume the fees are ASO fees, is that correct? And then what are are the expenses just the degree to which your uh, um your maintenance expenses are coming in line with what you thought? And why is this number running negative?
1: Uh Gary, I'll I'll let you take that one. Uh sure. Yeah,
2: I I think um what we have is we have a certain level of expense uh, baked into our expected profit, as you can imagine. And then there's certain types of expenses where it's not really in the running of the business. And some of these are, are planned. Like if we undertake a uh, you know a short-term strategic initiative over a, you know, it could be a period of time that's um, not in our sort of ongoing expected profit for the business, but it's it's going to cover a few quarters or a couple of quarters, then you can see some expenses from that. And again, it's all that's all part of the bottom line. Um, but it, we put that in as an experience loss rather than an underlying expected profit for the business. And then this quarter, I think I referenced it earlier, What um, some of what we saw was really just a, a bit of a catching up of where we would had some expenses uh, that were lower down, whether it's technology, whether it's accruals for certain uh, items. There was a bit of a catch up in Q4, so there was a bit of a, a, a jump up in expenses that we wouldn't expect to carry through uh, going forward, but it, uh, it did cause an expected, uh, sorry, an experience loss in, in the quarter.
3: Okay, Gary, and the fact you say fees, is that, is that because you're including
2: fees? fees? fees is gonna be all of your, um, that's also any variance from just generally from market movements relative to what you expected at the start of the quarter, just in your asset, uh, all your various asset related fees. And that usually you know, moves a few million every quarter up or down. Because we reset the expected profit for the uh, uh, fee-based businesses, the uh, wealth management businesses at the start of every quarter based on asset levels, but obviously it might unfold slightly differently than planned during the quarter, and so that variance also goes into the fees.
3: So even to the extent Putnam fees aren't in line with anticipated shows up there? Yeah, that would all be
7: in the uh,
2: expenses and fees uh, section
3: and and sorry is this the, the last one if I look over at uh management actions and changes and assumptions uh generally towards the end of the year is when you do a lot more actuarial reviews and if we take out the uh, the transaction and the gain on the sale uh you know you're net negative in terms of uh, um, uh changes and assumptions here um is uh, is that indicative? of How should we be thinking of this thing going forward? Traditionally, this has been a, a bit of a source of earnings to uh, um, uh, to Great West in the past. How should we think about the fact that in this quarter it was uh, negative?
2: Yeah, I, I think the quarter was uh, was really dominated by the one uh, large negative item in, in Canada on the policy order behavior. Um, that's a bit of an outsize relative to what uh, I think we've historically uh, been seeing a- across our book. Uh, I th- overall for the year... I th- i have not tallied up, but I think it was uh, it was probably a, a small positive for the year on uh, on the assumption changes, um, and certainly going forward. While I'm sure there will be some pluses and minuses, I think we we still do expect uh, you know and typically have seen a, a positive contribution from uh, from that source. It's uh, you know we can't get ahead of ourselves on on predicting it, but there's nothing fundamentally different in our, our balance sheet than what we would have had uh, in in prior years. Uh, so uh, obviously we've. We've also got the transition to IFRS 17 coming up soon, so that's uh, we've just got to uh, manage that to transition over the next couple of years. But uh, there's nothing really different in the balance sheet, so um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a, a modest positive
3: uh, going forward out of that. We'll
7: just have to do the experience work next year.
3: Okay, thanks. Thanks so much.
7: Thanks, Tom.
0: Our next question comes from Darko Mihalik of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
9: Yeah, hi, thank you. Just as a follow-up to that that question, you know, the, the updated policyholder behavior uh, assumptions in Canada, um, if I step back and, and look at Canada, and, you know, this year expected profit growth was actually less than a percent. So I'm just trying to understand a bit better, um, now that you've made these changes, is should we be expecting, you know, or... or all else equal, would expected profit growth be similar uh, in, in in Canada, you know, similar rate or should we expect something different? Like what was it that kept expected profit growth so low this year? I mean, I, I think I can make a few guesses, but I'd rather hear um, what you guys are, are thinking on that and, and maybe provide a little bit of, of color on what we should be expecting for 2021.
1: Um, I'll start out, and I'll turn it to Gary. I'll just echo one thing that Gary talked about before, where we saw the significant experience gains on the uh, group morbidity side. Um, we tend to think about expected profit and experience gains as you're going through a period like that. We we look at it more holistically and in total because you know we're repricing that book. We're trying to get a handle on you know, how much of the improved experience that we've seen this year will be continuing, how much of it, you know, should we be, have a degree of caution, and I think to the extent that we use caution in our expected profit, which we sort of set uh, out at the start, then we end up uh, seeing, you know, stronger experience gains rolling off, and I think that's what you saw in particular this quarter, you would have seen the degree of caution as we thought about uh, go forward. And then you saw actually a better outcome than our cautious approach. So th- there's generally that theme as we as we look at some of these in Canada. But I'll let Gary get into a little bit more of the look, color on the broader expect, expected profit in Canada. Uh,
2: thanks, Paul. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think the moving group was probably the largest uh, single item. I mean, you, you've got some business growth in in some areas. Uh, you know, there's, there's often a little bit of fee compression uh, that goes, just goes on in the, in the wealth businesses. So that's uh, uh, that's all it. But the largest change we saw year over year was in the, in the group area, and it was downward uh, in the group area. And again, not uh, the results have actually been quite good, but the geography was um, uh, was different. So we've got um, you know, as we as we've now had a couple of good quarters of, of experience gains, then that will certainly factor into. Uh, are you know, perhaps uh, taking a, a little less cautious view on expected profit uh, going into next year? And then also, we do have uh, quite a number of initiatives. Uh, you know, Jeff hasn't talked about them in this call, but we have uh, referred to them on prior calls. Just a number of initiatives to uh, to grow our uh, our business and our expected profit in Canada. So we would expect to see some of those uh, coming online in um, in 2021 as well. So uh, yeah, it's a cautious optimism for uh, uh, for some growth there but I think some of it will just be reflecting on the last couple of quarters of uh, strong experience. Uh, how you know, do we have more confidence in putting that into the expected profit next year? Okay. Thank, thank you for that.
9: Um, maybe just one follow-up. Uh, you mentioned the longevity uh, business in, in the UK is uh, being a driver, and you know, we are seeing the PRA is considering altering the, the capital requirements, and there are some views out there that says, you know, it should be altered to the benefit of of, of players there. And should we expect, um, you know, if if the solvency regime is relaxed a little bit and there's there's more capital available, would it be would that be negative? I I would think there'd be more competitive pricing and more just more activity in the bulk annuity space. Maybe you guys can can speak to that a little bit. Is that a a risk to the the business uh, as you see it?
1: Uh, Darko, Paul. I'll start out by saying that we like our approach to the overall longevity side because we we don't just participate in UK bulks. We also participate with our, our reinsurance, our capital and risk solutions group. And we also look to diversify out of the UK. And we've actually had a fair bit of uh, participation in, in Dutch longevity exposure via the reinsurance business. So we tend to look at that sort of more holistically, and we look for uh, places where we can add value, where and where there's uh, you know strong returns for us. So that would sort of be a broader perspective. I think Arshil can give you some context around our views on if there were in fact some you know some relaxation of some of the the drag from solvency, too, how that might play out.
8: So, th- thank you Paul, uh, you, you did highlight that you know, our, uh, on the reinsurance side our longevity swaps are not just in the UK but also include a number of EU countries, most notably the Netherlands, so any change in the UK will impact sort of a competitive landscape in, in those other countries. Um, but the demand side of it from pension funds, so you know, often the client is not another insurance company but it's a defined benefit pension plan, de-risking. Um, so I think those dynamics continue to be very, very favorable. If you look, look ahead to where DB plans are, funding levels, interest rates, and sort of the risk preferences of corporate sponsors, um, you know, we think there is quite a, a strong tailwind there. Um, if there are sort of capital reductions in the UK, I think it might help us actually compete in the retail payout annuity market uh, where we could offer even better value to customers. So, you know, I, I'd be sort of cautiously optimistic that notwithstanding any regulatory changes, um, that you know we, we will continue to see sort of strong demand for all of these types of products, both on the reinsurance side and on, on the direct side in in the UK to retail customers and to uh, on
9: and on a bulk basis. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Doug Young of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead.
10: Hi, uh, good afternoon just have a few quick just maybe clarifications in base on on slide fourteen you removed twenty three million of management actions can you um just let me know what what does that relate to uh
1: D- doug I'll, it's paul i will um uh that is a um an s o e uh question i'm gonna i'm gonna allow gary to take that one gary over to you uh sure
2: that's um the uh just looking for the actual page numbers here. That's what we outline uh, a little later in the slides. It's, the, it's on, the, um, on slide 14. The uh, just pull up your pages here. On slide 14, um, the uh, the assumption changes, management actions. We've actually outlined those on page is 17. Yeah, um, you can Thanks see the, uh, uh, the vast majority of those. There, I think that's. Uh, it, that adds up to, uh, to 29, which is uh, uh, um, uh, getting it. So, to be, um, some of the restructuring uh, won't be in this. Restructuring is another. But that's a lot of uh, what's pulled out there, It's uh, really the Points. actuarial assumptions and the, the management actions. We called out some of the specifics down below. So, you've got in that, you've got um, the basis changes we, we touched on, uh, you've got the, um, the you know, both, both the pluses and minuses. Uh, you had a uh, we recaptured some uh, some reinsurance, and that uh, went into uh, again. That was a positive that went in there, uh, and again, it's mostly just the netting out of the basis changes. That's the bulk of it. Plus, uh, recapturing as part of our mortality review, which was positive, we also recaptured some uh, some mortality risk, and that uh, again was a positive, bringing it onto our basis. So, the, those would be the drivers there. It's it's basically other than some of the big. Uh, um, strategic initiative related items we we put out below. But most of it's the basic
9: changes.
10: I guess what I was confused about was because it's a gain. Management actions was a gain, but you're actually adding back an amount in base earnings um, such that you would think it was a loss. And so that's why it was just like the twenty-three million doesn't really match up to. I, I we can follow up afterwards. Yeah, that's,
6: let's
2: that's let's fine. do that after. It's uh, it's just walking through the yeah.
10: pieces. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was a big jump in expected profits in in the U.S. operations. What's what did that relate to? Was that in
2: the inclusion of the Mass Mutual business? Uh, no, that was not. The Mass Mutual, other than the restructuring uh, that we noted in the transaction cost, Mass Mutual was not in. It closed right at December 31st. So yeah, that's okay. really um, – it's it's pretty much split between uh, Putnam and Empower in terms of uh, uh, increase. Now, some of that's going to be market growth, some of it's the uh, outlook as we knew the uh, – We could see the the performance and how that would lead into performance fees. So you had the fees, and then the uh, the margins uh, and the growth at Empower has been driving that. So pretty much split between Putnam and Empower.
10: Okay. And then lastly, I think there's a restructuring charge in in Canada. Like I get the restructuring charges in the U.S., um, but I think there was one in Canada. Correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe that was related to some strategic initiatives, if I recall. Uh, can can you maybe just delve a little bit into that, and and do you have an idea of what the cost saves that you would come from that?
1: Yeah, Gary, um, I'll let you start there, and then Jeff may want to provide some color on on the work we've actually been doing uh, in Canada in relation to um, strengthening our overall distribution and marketing efforts. Gary.
2: Yeah, so uh, there were there were a couple of things in there um, in uh, in Canada. Your know, part of that. That's all. That's where. We quoted earlier a net gain on the, um, uh, the distribution, uh, the uh, divestiture of uh, GLC, our, our Canadian Asset Manager, uh, to Mackenzie, and so the restructuring that went with that is part of that number. And then I believe uh, there was some restructuring um, in, the, uh, in the Canadian distribution that maybe Jeff would want to touch on uh, briefly. I so think that's, uh, that's the bulk of that.
5: Yeah, thanks, Gary. Yeah, we, uh, uh, you know we were very pleased with the quarter, of course, and you did see some very strong sales both on the individual side and the group insurance side in part uh, we made some changes in in the latter part of the year on our wholesaling efforts uh, 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 those individuals calling on advisors out in the marketplace and we established uh, an internal wholesale organization uh, which uh, we didn't have that muscle before and that has proved to, to be very very positive for us in the marketplace and it's allowed us to reach advisors like we never have before whether that be digitally or, uh, or through other methods. And as well, we've strengthened our external wholesaling organization. So, you know, that's, that's the bulk of, of, of the story there. The other part that, that, that Paul referenced to is uh, we've undertaken a, a pretty strong total review of our distribution organization. We've added a fair bit of uh, muscle to our value propositions and each of the uh, markets that we operate in, uh, both on the individual and group side. So, that would be the bulk of, of what it is.
4: Okay, great. Thank you.
9: This
0: concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mann for any closing remarks.
1: Um, Thank you, uh, Ariel. Um, To close, I would really just like to uh, thank everyone for um, uh, attending today's call. Um, I wish everyone well uh, in terms of health and safety as we work through Hopefully, um, a bit of an opening through the lockdowns that we're all going through. So I wish uh, health and safety to your families. And we look forward to connecting with you again at the end of the first quarter. Thanks very much.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.